Welcome to the Kick Pod, your weekly DM on the stuff that matters. Good morning. Good morning, Lawsy. Good morning. How are you? I'm wonderful today. You look very, very stylish. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> it's nice. Uh, it's, uh, it's unfortunate this is not a visual platform. This is an audio <laughs> platform, but feel the style through the <laughs> mic. No, no, no. Uh, what was I going to say? No, I'm fantastic. We had such a wonderful first kick I, to her back. Is that what you first kick to her back? But it's not finished. What do you mean? Well, it's finished for now. Oh, is it all we've got it? Yeah. We are coming. Everyone's been messaging me. I don't know about you, but saying like, why aren't you coming to Perth or like all these other stops? And we are. Are we allowed to say it. this? Are we? I don't know. Well, let's let you well, heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, we, we won't, but it's coming coming soon. We will announce more stops to the kick tour. Yeah. But the first part of it is finished yes. and it has just been, I can't even explain how cup fulfilled. Is yeah. Cup is, cup is, it's. So my cup is in a funny position. My cup. <laughs> my cup, yes. Anyway, so my cup. This is my cup. <laughs> so basically I feel so fulfilled and cup is full with just – it's one of those things that with Kick we spend obviously a lot of time on our laptops in yeah. the office yeah. with our wonderful team. Yeah. But there is nothing like – being with our community in real life and hearing from people the impact yeah. that the Kick program has had on their lives. Like it's just – I can't – I just – it's just the most amazing feeling in the whole world. Um, and then also because, I mean, we have we have worked out with over – it's about about 2,000 yeah. of, of you, yeah. uh, which has just been amazing, and yeah. met all of you, which has been incredible, um, or everyone that could stay for the meet and greet. So in that – I'm feeling like – and we want to give it everything when yeah. we do it. So I'm also really tired but in the best way possible because my cup is full. Yeah. And it's funny because in the moment, like so many of you or so many of um, the community who did come mentioned like, oh, you know, aren't you tired? How, how are you going to – how are you doing this kind of thing? Because um, our energy was so high. But like at, in that moment, you're just so energised from – the love and mm. excitement around it. It's really, it's really hard to explain, but it truly is. I agree, Laws. It's the most rewarding thing about what we do. And it is a really great reminder um, of, of why we do what we do. Like when you hear those stories and you get to meet everyone, it's the best. So It is, isn't it? Oh, thank you. For it was so good. And the other thing is a lot of people listened to, said you listen to the podcast. I, know. I was It's so yeah. funny because I, I we can see the data each week yeah, with we the podcast. We know, but I just – I still – I don't look at that number and think, oh, this is the number of people it's who nice listen. It's nice to see a face to – But it's just nice to know that some people actually – because, you know, people would just be putting it on the background <laughs> supporting us, like not listening or like <laughs> – whatever but that when people were like I love the podcast I was like really yeah cool. <laughs> anyway that was nice too so no it was a just big lots of love it was just fantastic now Steffi yes I don't I know you don't have a special share today which is so fine yeah. it's there's been a lot on you're also watching the same show which is totally not that you can only share tv shows because it's special no, share but, but I honestly haven't been consuming much content what about food? You know, you can share anything here. Yeah, I know, but like, I just. You're just not repeat. consuming much. You just. <laughs> no, not for food. I mean, in general, like. Yeah, no, nothing special to share. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 
in in a way of like not repeating myself. Okay, it's wonderful. Well, lucky I've got three. Whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So the first one is serious. So it is, actually they're all serious. You know what? My special share can be our kick share. So you get going with your things, and then that'll be my special share because I'm actually really excited. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wonderful. What well, sounds like fun? Whoa. <laughs> You're turning into me. What a ball of fun. Uh, so, 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 mine. First of all, the first thing I wanted to touch on is something that we have spoken about on at the kick tour in the panel. So for any of you that well, I, we know that some of you that came to listen to the podcast, so thank you, but sorry for repeating. But if you didn't attend, uh, I wanted to touch on it because I think it's something that we've had some amazing conversations about and I just think we all need a reminder sometimes and that is to never, ever, ever let anything that happened in our past, you know, it might have been, it could be with anything. It could be you went out for a run and this happens to me sometimes. One, usually I can run 10 kilometres, but sometimes, you know, the one kilometre I try and do is really hard and I struggle and I have to stop. Or I might struggle through a workout and not be able to finish it or I might have a presentation or something at work and completely flop at it or whatever it might be. Those things happen in our lives all the time and it's really, really important to never let those things define what we are capable of in our future. Uh, I think so often we might think like you might go into a job interview of a job that's outside of your comfort zone and it might not go the way that you had thought it would and that's okay. Like those things happen. It might not have been your day. Nerves might have overtaken or whatever it might have been. Do not let that mean that you never step out of your comfort zone again because you can um, and you are able to and you are capable of that and just so I just think sometimes we just need a reminder to not let things that happen in our past or bad experiences define what we are capable of in the future so mm. there's that good thanks anyway that was that would I just wanted to share that this morning I was driving in and I was like I really want to share this today secondly I am watching two things at once unfortunately they're both on different streaming platforms <laughs> the way oh I know anyway so one is on Disney plus Steph's favorite Steph Disney if you're listening Steph would like to be an ambassador I would (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) it's called the dropout it has Amanda I'm not going to say her name right side Fred Seaford oh wow yeah she she was in Mamma Mia yeah yeah, she's in a lot of things actually I don't want to just say yeah she's fantastic uh and Oh, yes, 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 the weather. Weather? Yes, the weather lady. So uh, it is the story of – it is a true story and it's the story of Elizabeth Elizabeth Holmes. She is an entrepreneur that created a company, if you have heard. There's been a lot of podcasts as well on it that have been really, really successful. There's also a book that I've read that I really enjoyed as well and now it's a series of the story of her company and the rise and the fall and it's really interesting Bit of fraud in there. I've seen it pop up. So Yeah, recommend. The second one is another another show about a company that crushed. Mm-hmm. And it's called We Crashed. So I'm not giving <laughs> anything away. And this I'm sorry, this one's on Apple TV. So it's on another one. Yeah. But it is – I'm really enjoying it. It has got my favourite actress of all time, which I've now gone blank on. Who's her favourite actress, Steffi? Wow. Um, in The Intern. I'm sorry. Anne Hathaway. Oh, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, Anne Hathaway. Yeah, Anne Hathaway yeah. is in this show. Uh, and basically it is about WeWork, which is a co-working space, and they grew very quickly and became a huge company and then their company crashed. And it is the story of that. Anne Hathaway plays the partner of the founder. And it is very interesting so far. Love those recommendations. Yeah, really good. Thank you very much. Except Apple released three episodes uh, of the 
we crashed because yes. that's on Apple. And so what I thought was because Dalton and I watched the first three episodes that the whole season was available, but they do this. They release three and then you think that they're all available and then they're not. Then you have to wait till every Friday. Anyway, so that – oh, my God, one more share. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. <laughs> it's like Laura. Stop. Okay. Uh, just like that. My came back, back season I two. Saw. I better actually. You're like it? speaking in monotone. Oh, we don't even know if you finished it. Okay, well, you don't no, even I deserve did. season two. I do. I, I love it. I don't think I did, but okay, I, I well. didn't want to. Oh, again, I did want to. I don't, <laughs> I don't know have time. How you, honestly, <laughs> I don't know how you watch so many shows because I know how busy you are. I watch it at night. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like while I'm working, it's like yeah, in I, the background. I, I think it's just because I have to watch something that Josh and I both like. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. So, Whereas Dalton has my TV taste. Yes. And I don't know if he does, but he, he does. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. So uh, I'm great. actually, yeah, sorry about all those. No, they're great. I should have saved one for next week because I'm going to get to next week. And then, oh, my God. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. It's fine. Um, I'm very excited, though. No, thank you for sharing those because that is great. You should see the. I'm very excited. No, thank I you am. for sharing those. I am. I actually, I want to watch all of them. Thank you. Yeah. Even season two of Just Like That? Yeah, I might. Okay. I'll, I'll see how I go with season one first, but, you know. Well, as I said earlier. Well, I actually, one a, thing. Okay. I, I'm going to enjoy your special share. What? Not because you didn't have one. <laughs> yes, as Laura pointed out. <laughs> I'm joking. Again, I don't have a special share. I'm joking. But my special share is actually a Oh, my God, you do workout. have one. Now I feel bad. Yes. Within our kick update. So our big kick update is that on Monday this week, we dropped Low Impact, which is a new workout style. They are masterclasses by Brooke. There's 10 of them in there. And for me personally right now, because I'm coming out of a bit of a, I keep using the word injury, but I don't know if it's, well, it kind of is an injury. I didn't do anything drastic. It just, I just didn't stretch and recover well. And then now it's been this niggly knee injury for like ages and it's really annoying. Anyway, an injury. I have been really loving these workouts because it's exactly what I need right now. Um, and one of my favorite ones that I wanted to recommend, because this is one that I thoroughly enjoyed. It is one with me in it. So I feel weird recommending it, but it's because I haven't tried all of them. And so I, I recommend like these things with like Anne Hathaway, and like, I you know, Amanda Seinfeld and says like, well, I am the A-list celebrity. But I can't, like, <laughs> no, I'm joking. The ones I've tried are great, but this one I particularly enjoyed. I remember when we filmed it, I knew it was going to be something that. It's okay if you I like the video with you in it. It's not, but it's not when you I do it, it, it's Brooke is still taking the exactly. workout. Yes. Anyway, it's called Low and Slow and it's Ooh, great. Sounds. Felix. Okay. Bernie. Fantastic. Yeah. And you can do it. I can do it. Yeah, yeah great. Yeah, yeah. No, I just I'm not going as low as I did in yeah. this filming with my range because of my knee at the moment. But um, yeah, it's really great because you still work up a sweat and you get your body burning and it's low impact, so no jumping. Which love that for me. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's something that we've wanted to do for, for quite a while at Kick yeah. Offer. It's something that a lot of our workouts, or actually not not the Pilates and things, but a lot of the HIIT workouts have jumping in it. And so we wanted to have an option too for people that would prefer not to and want a lower yeah. impact option and to not train. Just like say a moder- moderation like in the video, we wanted to actually make specific videos for you. So this is very exciting. Um, yeah. So give them a crack if you're on... Uh, I was supposed to say if you're on social media, if you're on Wow. <laughs> There's no disclaimer in this episode of it being the afternoon because it's not. It's <laughs> 9 a.m. <laughs> but no, it's very exciting. Uh, yeah. We love Brooke. We're so lucky to have Brooke a part of the kick team. So we hope you enjoy them. They're in the app now. 
So today's episode is a really, really important one. It is one of the most powerful episodes I think, Steffi, we, we have ever recorded here at Kick. So a few months ago, Jamila Rizvi reached out to us over email. Jamila is incredible. We love her. She's been on the podcast and she does some absolutely incredible work and she's a part of the Future Women team. So Jamila was emailing about a new podcast that Future Women have released and it is called There Is No Place Like Home. It is a podcast about family violence that puts the survivor at the centre of the story. So Jamila was emailing about us having Tarang Chawla on the podcast, who is someone that we both follow on social media. I've been following him for quite a while. He's fantastic. He is a writer, anti-violence campaigner, mental health and gender equality advocate. He is a suicide survivor, storyteller and trainee lawyer using his voice to serve the community and champion human rights. And he is also the host of the new podcast, There Is No Place Like Home by Future Women, which we talk about a lot in this episode. We highly recommend listening to it. This is a really important conversation, but we do understand that it may be triggering to some of you. We do discuss domestic violence in this episode and we have popped some resources for support in the show notes. Tarang, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. We are so excited to speak to you today and what we're talking about is something that is really, really important and we appreciate your time so much. No, thank you for having me. It's, uh, yeah, it's great to be on and uh, I think so important to talk about some of these really difficult topics that we'll probably cover today. Yeah, absolutely. And to start off with, we wanted to say a big congratulations on the launch of your new podcast with Future Women. There is no place like home. And the stories and resources that you're sharing on the podcast are so incredibly powerful and will make such an impact to so many people. We wanted to start by asking, why was this podcast really important to you to be a part of? It's a really great question. I think uh, from my perspective, there's this thing in society where I think we we talk about victim survivors, right? I think we've made some progress in terms of our understanding of domestic abuse, family violence, things like that, but we're still often talking about them rather than to them, mm. you know? And so for, for those that don't know, like my sister Nikki um, had her life taken from her in 2015 when she was 23, and a lot of the kind of public response a lot of the media a lot of the news that was written about her death and a lot of stuff that made it to television and the whole experience of going through that as a family you know seeing the kind of the pain in my parents eyes when they found out about Nikki's murder to you know the healing process and the journey of grief and sorrow and loss and everything you go through after that there was this real sense of everyone talking at us or to us but not with us and letting us really have a voice of our own. And I discovered, you know, over the seven years since Nikki's murder is just how common that is for a lot of women. You know, women that have uh, experienced domestic abuse or family violence and consider themselves survivors and are still here today, but they're not included in the conversations. And so for me, with There's No Place Like Home, it was really important that survivors' stories are centred you know, that they're talking in their own words, not someone saying to them, this is how you're meant to feel or telling them, you know, did you feel sad or did you feel scared or despair or fear or what was going through your mind? So here it's a case of really letting them have the microphone and just say what they're feeling in the moment. And there's so many, you know, phenomenal stories from really, really remarkable women. 
in this podcast. And one of the things that really stuck out to me about that, what's so important, I think, of why it was so crucial to me to share that was it spoke to the diversity of experience that women have, right? There's this perception that all survivors are the same, that all people go through very similar forms of abuse, but they don't. You know, they really don't. And so for me, it really stuck out just how diverse the experiences were and yet that kind of common thread around pain and and what they've gone through and surviving and resilience. And I think a lot of women aren't given credit for that, like even if they're not survivors of abuse or violence, just the kind of resilience that's required for women to exist in society where there's inequality. And so for me, like particularly as a man, like interviewing these women and speaking to them, we got the opportunity to really get a window into what life is like at different stages, not only of an abusive relationship, but most importantly afterwards. Like what's the healing process and journey like? And it's not, it's not for everyone that they're going to want to speak out about what they experienced, but they should have the opportunity. So for me, it was crucial that we give them that opportunity. And I think that, you know, I'm not sure that this is necessarily 100% true, but like it's definitely the first that I'm aware of in Australia where we're actually passing the microphone to victim survivors and allowing them to to speak in their own words. And that's the perspective that is the most important one really and it's it's so incredible what you've been doing and um, it's, yeah, it's just something so important and I, I can't believe that, as you just said, that it's possibly the first thing. I mean, it's the first thing I've heard of where mm. it's giving the victim's voice. So it's just so incredible and so important. I have to ask because obviously there's a lot of stereotypes when it comes to, you know, people who um, go through something like that. Is domestic abuse more likely to happen to women or men, non-binary, like non-conforming? Like is there a specific person that it's more likely to happen to? I guess the short answer is yes, Uh, Steph. The short answer is yes, right? So there's like – there's this thing called the Australian National Research Organisation for Women's Safety or ANROS for short – And they've found that, you know, women are three times more likely than men to have experienced intimate partner violence since the age of 15. So when I think of that as a statistic, it's like, you know, women are three times more likely. What does that look like in real life? And it's like if we take a cross-section of any room we're in and now, you know, with COVID restrictions Mm -hmm. fully eased almost all across the country, including WA, it's kind of like... It's kind of this thing where, like, we can actually gather in a space and if you look around, right, like particularly, you know, for men, if they stand in a corner and they look around at a room and there's a group of women there, that that group of women are three times more likely to have experienced violence since the age of 15 and inflicted by someone in a position of trust, right, someone in a position that, you know, they would never expect you know, there is always that fear of, like, the what if or the unknown when you go to, like, you know, place. Like, when you go overseas, for example, right, you're always, like, worried, like, what could happen? Am I going to be safe and stuff like that? But you never expect in your own home to feel unsafe or fearful with the person who claims to love you, you know, or, or if your relationship breaks down, you don't expect the person that once claimed to love you to try to take your own life. And yet that is, like... That is single-handedly the most dangerous time for a woman is when she's leaving a relationship in which there was any kind of control or coercive control or any kind of imbalance of power dynamics because that's when even relationships where there hasn't been physical violence during the relationship, there can be. You know, so in short, yeah, women are more likely. Um, the other thing, you know, you asked about gender non-conforming people and, and non-binary people and 
others. And I think one of the things that's most remarkable, right, and we touched on this in the podcast, I think it's episode seven, there's a trans man named Jex. And one of the concerning results from the episode, and we weren't expecting this, right, is just how hard it is to find data around the LGBTQI experience of domestic abuse and family violence. And I think it's because for a long time we haven't given as a society that kind of that respect or that dignity to people from the community, right? So we don't have all of the data, but we know that they are disproportionately represented in terms of statistics of violence. And the kind of, the kind of thing that that tells me is that we need more data. We need more research. We need more funding. We need governments to actually, you know, look at entire communities like the LGBTQIA plus community and others, you know, whether it's people from migrant groups or whoever it may be, and go, they're part of the fabric of modern Australia. They're going to be part of the fabric of future Australia. Whatever kind of prejudices and hang-ups we have, we need to get over them and we need to actually do what we need to do as, a, you know, the researchers need to be funded and have the resources so that they can do the work to actually give tailored solutions. Because at the moment we're kind of, when it comes to certain communities, we don't know what's going to be the best approach. You know, and that really stuck out for me, like hearing from victim survivors about what would have helped them. Mm. You know, having, whether it was, you know, a woman for whom uh, English was, you know, a second, third or even fourth language and she was, you know, it would have been as simple as having interpreters and translators present when she was dealing with police or with whoever, law enforcement. And it's like, how can we get that so wrong? How can we get that so wrong that someone is, like, trying to seek help and they need us and we're not getting it right? And then there's all this, you know, broader data, I guess, around men's violence against women. And one of the things that I think is so important and one of the things that I often reflect on as a man, right, because we get this... I'm just going to bring it up, right? Not that we've asked it yet, but I'm going to bring it up. That whole not all men thing, mm-hmm. right? Everyone, you know, yeah. everyone is so used to hearing it. Women are so used to hearing it, right? And I, I totally get that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sitting across from two women and I'm talking more than you, like more than both of you. And I totally get like that whole kind of dynamic and, and I'm a man talking about violence against women. But I think what's so important, men need to be included in the conversation, I think, because... of all violence is perpetrated by a man, right? So that's that's like a baseline fact. Regardless of the gender of the perpetrator, regardless of whether it's a, you know, a woman in an intimate relationship or a man in a public setting, 95% of physical violence is perpetrated by a man. So it's kind of like men have this kind of responsibility, I think, to call out each other's behaviour. Yeah to challenge the attitudes where that's somehow normal, you know, and really get to a point where um, we're having better relationships with the, ultimately with ourselves, right? Because that's like, a, that's like a, a really bad coping mechanism for whatever's going on in life, that the people around us and the women around us as men are the ones that are most likely to face the harm. So it's kind of like it's really, I think it's really important to note that, that like, yeah, violence affects all people and people of all genders, but men are overwhelmingly the perpetrators of it. And it comes, I mean, I think when you're talking about that, I think straight to back to, not that I was ever in the locker room for the chat, but it's just that lock, like some of the stuff that's in very masculine environments in the football locker room, for example, where 
behaviour, you might not be the one that's saying that you've done the wrong thing or speaking about your partner in a really derogative way, but every single person in that room, if they're allowing that behaviour to happen, which I think is there's such a problem in Australia with that footy boys club um, and that no one wants to call anyone out because they'll, you know, they'll feel uncomfortable and, and then they'll be isolated and there's so much work we need to do there. Um and I just, I just think it's really important for, for everyone listening and, and if I hope there are males also listening to this podcast that not speaking up as well and not holding people accountable to what they're saying is also allowing it to happen. In reflecting for this podcast and I was thinking a lot after listening to your the first few episodes that are, that are out at the moment for in there's no place like home which have just been I, I cannot recommend enough every single person listening goes and listens to every single episode in the it's a 10-part series isn't yeah 10-part series yeah and yeah. I've been reflecting on what my idea of what domestic violence was or is and I think back to some of the ads we've seen on because I think I really think my only education unless I've gone and seeked it out myself but through school and and everything if if I haven't seeked it out it's been through ads on tv and it's there's always physical violence. Yep. And so, obviously, that is not... I did a... Um, which I know Combank is the partner of, of mm. the podcast and I did a um, project with them, I think it was in, in 2020, around financial abuse, mm. which I didn't even know that that was a type of abuse and obviously it's a huge one. And I think that for me was super reflective because during COVID, we all kind of were at home, staying home and we were mm. safe at home. But then yeah. there was the whole issue that, you know, not every person was yeah. able to be safe at home. And for yeah. some people, and, and especially women, home is the most dangerous place for them. Yeah. Can you talk to how complex domestic abuse is and that it's not just being physically punched in the face? Yeah, oh, the absolutely. Types? Absolutely. I'm really, and I'm really glad that we're talking about this, right? Because. Around 90% of all cases of domestic abuse include some form of financial abuse. So if there's anything else present, whether it's emotional, psychological, physical violence, there's a a 9 in 10 chance that there's also financial abuse going on in the background that we can't see. You know, that doesn't leave cuts and bruises and scrapes and nicks. You can't tell that someone's being financially abused just by looking at them in the way that you could with, say, a black eye or a bruise or something like that. But that doesn't mean that it's not serious or that it's not having devastating consequences for, um, you know, primarily women in abusive relationships. And I think one of the things that the pandemic really brought to the fore was this kind of perception about the complexity of this issue, right? The complexity of what is domestic abuse and family violence. And, you know, we had the real privilege of being able to speak to experts around this issue in terms of what are the different kinds of violence, Right. And it's, you know, so things like psychological abuse and belittling someone and name calling them, you know, is one form of emotional abuse. Right. And we touched on financial abuse. And this really goes hand in hand with one of the things around why society often tends to ask, you know, and I've had this from people of all genders asking when my when my sister Nikki was murdered, one of the most common things we heard as a family was, well, why didn't she just leave? Right. And there's what goes hand in hand with, you know, homicide and murder and, you know, all that kind of like true crime side of, of violence against women is that there's financial abuse where 
a woman has no access to money, right, if she leaves, right, firstly the question, the premise of the question is, well, why is he violent rather than why doesn't she just leave? But even if we're talking about logistically, like she can't leave because she's risking homelessness, right? She's risking, if she's a mother, she's risking the livelihood of her children. So it's really this kind of, this really difficult kind of, process that a woman has to go through in terms of thinking assumes that she has access to a car but you know with financial abuse often she won't have a car the car's taken away yeah the car's taken away there are there are instances where you know we we speak about this in the podcast where we meet survivors who have the outward appearance of a really great life Mm. right like there's like three homes in the family like that by any stretch of the imagination it looks like a very enviable lifestyle, right? But none of that is hers and she doesn't have access to anything, right? She might have like at most like $20 in her bank account, which is not going to go far, right? And the looming threat of abuse and control and violence just like in the home and with technology, it's everywhere. You know, that's one of the things that we touch on as well around technology-facilitated abuse, Right, so when it comes to financial abuse, there were men who were sending like, you know, two cents, five cents kind of transactions with abusive messages over the course of a day, you know, and they would send hundreds upon hundreds of them. And one of the great things about, you know, some of the work that ComBank and I think other institutions are doing is that they're trying to stamp that out, you know, because they don't want their facilities being used as a platform for abuse. And I think that's the thing about abuse, that it's not... But there's that perception that, like, oh, he just cracked the shits mm. and, you know, and then it led to him punching her and she got a black eye. But this isn't cracking the shits. This is like a pattern of control, mm. you know, and I think that's the really key thing when it comes to domestic abuse is understanding that, you know, we, any of us in relationships, will have an argument with our partner. We might say some things we regret. If that happens once off, you know, mm a couple of times a year, that's not domestic abuse, right? That's a, that's an otherwise hopefully healthy relationship, you know, and we all get stressed out and we say things we regret. And that happens. That's normal. But when one person is inflicting, you know, fear in the other person or engaging in a way that's trying to downplay them, you know, like to really like diminish their sense of self-worth, whether it's through like consistently name-calling them and belittling them, Or doing other things like excluding them from their friends and family. Mm. You know, that's something that my sister went through. And in the benefit of hindsight, we kind of saw the amount of coercive control that she was living under and living with. But we didn't fully grasp it then. You know, and I feel sometimes I feel a sense of guilt as a brother that I wasn't as aware that like that's what my sister was going through. And when we were recording the podcast, one of the like heartbreaking things for me was like, I'm hearing from these women and we're interviewing these women and they're they're telling me things where I'm like, shit, like Nikki would have gone through that. Mm -hmm. Like that would have been, you know, that would have been something that she experienced and it all clicked. It all made sense. You know, like in the year and, you know, in the three years before she died, she was consistently like seeing me and our parents less than she otherwise would have 
And I could tell she didn't like it, but we couldn't really figure out what was going on. And it was that sense of control. And abusers use that over their victims. You know, they use the threat of harming pets. They use the threats of, like, harming other family members in order to have control over their primary victim and slowly but surely, like, wearing them down. And so, like, the year before Nikki's murder was, like, the opposite of that, was her kind of finding her sense of self again. You know, she was 20, she'd just turned 23 and a woman, right? But, like, you know, we're four years apart. So, for me, it was like I looked at her as, like, a, just like a young girl, right? And it was like she was, she was an adult, but in some way she was so, like, young and, and you know, just immature and, and the way you want to be when you're in your mm. early 20s, right? Like, you just want to make some silly mistakes. You want to live your life. You want to, you know. Pardon? Big dreams and yeah. Yeah, you just want to yeah, just want to live your life and, mm. and you know, think of what could be and, and, and so like for me it was like this thing where I'm sitting across from people and we're interviewing them and I'm just hearing these stories and I'm thinking, wow, that's you know that was what Nikki went through. And some of the women have said to me, you know, like Geraldine Bilston, who was in an episode about coercive control. She's told me, um, like privately in other settings when we've had conversations, that like I could have, I could have, my life could have ended like Nikki's, you know. And we and we play the audio with her permission from a triple zero call that she made when her ex partner drove a car at her car when her mum Anne was sitting in there with her, you know, in order to intimidate her and make her fear for her life, and I just. You know, that's where there's this perception, I think, that people will say things like, why didn't she just leave or something? And it's like, do you get the mm. like the sheer resilience of this human being that they put one foot in front of the other after surviving someone trying to take their life? And I think for me, the real kind of thing there, um, this kind of goes back to one of your early questions, is like there is so much wisdom and knowledge that survivors give us you know in terms of how we respond to the issue Mm. and also they give us so much just by sharing their stories when they don't owe anyone anything you know people who've gone through such immense trauma i don't believe they owe anyone anything and yet they so graciously you know with such dignity share these stories and i think it's really what what we've tried to do hopefully uh like fingers crossed is kind of give this kind of education to people about like what are the different types whether it's emotional psychological stalking technology based financial um, and then the overall kind of picture of coercive control as well as sharing people's real life experience you know because the stats don't mean much after a while you know when we talk about one woman a week being killed by a current or former partner i could have heard that statistic a million times over and then when my sister was one of those women i was like wow, mm. this is, like, men, we need to step up. Like, this is happening in our homes. This is this is the society that we live in. And for me, it was really, it really kind of jolted me because the environment that Nikki and I grew up in wasn't like that. Mm. Like, my parents' relationship, they've been married, I think, 35 years now. Uh, no, longer, 36, 37, 36 years now. They, uh, their relationship wasn't like that. Like, they have a real kind of sense of equality. You know, dad's always treated mum with respect and they've been very equal. And particularly, like, you know, I come from a South Asian background and there are some, like, cultural stereotypes around how men can be and stuff. And we didn't have that. 
You know, like I grew up in a house where like uh, mum would be in the kitchen, right? Like that was her space. She was willingly, willingly there. Like no one was forcing her to be there. Um, but dad would always help out around the house, you know, with like domestic labour and stuff like that. And when it came to like financial stuff, mum was across everything, you know, and, and it was weird going to other people's houses and seeing that it wasn't like that. You know, and I think that's one of the things that, like, particularly for for blokes and men, is, like, it's not rocket science and it's not groundbreaking. Like, you touched on, Laura, before the whole thing about the locker room, mm. right? And there's that thing that, like, a lot of men will tell me, right? Some men have listened to, like, the first couple of episodes or the first few that are out now. And I got a message on Instagram and there was this guy being like, well, I've never hit a woman, so, like, what's what's the big deal? Like I would never, I would never do that. And it was like, yeah, but have you ever been in a setting where either you or someone else has said something that's sexist or harasses a woman or makes her feel less than or humiliated? And they were like, yeah, probably. And I was like, that's it. That's that's literally they're the conditions by which other guys think it's okay to be more violent towards women. Right, And so that's the collective responsibility. It's not like, you know, like if you see someone going through a hard time, you don't just look and then walk away. You try to give them a hand. And this is us helping our mates be better, you know, and really also self-reflecting. You know, like for me, like like when the Super Bowl performance came out recently, remember that Super Bowl performance recently with Dr. Dre and all that stuff? Like I grew I'm up so on- not... In, is that even pop culture or is it no that's just like general culture that i should be across i, I mean, think you don't have to hear across know. a lot of things I, yeah, I, <laughs> just I, think, I knew dr dre did it and i i heard yeah. that he spent 10 million dollars of his own money and he gets given 10 million dollars from the super bowl but okay. i never watched he, the performance yeah, i right. have a feeling you're thinking of he the weekend have, the weekend oh, last maybe. year okay yeah yeah well, I mean, he's he's the same, right? Like yeah. all those lyrics and stuff. They have like I, I listen to I listen to the weekend on the way here, actually. Yeah. Like, I, um, but I, um, yeah, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bought the same sunglasses as the weekend as well, actually. But no one needs to know; that. it's not relevant. Um, and I, I grew up on that music, right? Like Eminem and stuff, and it's it's like deeply misogynistic in parts, right? And so that what I'm saying is that, like, we're all products of our own culture, mm-hmm. right? And so we all need to, like, reflect and examine and, and kind of... And it, it goes the same across all issues, right? Whether it's, like, racism, sexism, any form of discrimination, like ableism. You know, like, when I learn from disabled people around, like, some of their experiences, it's really about how we create, like, inclusive, safer societies. And this is just one part of that broader puzzle, mm. Right, And so there's sometimes this kind of um, resistance and backlash. And the thing for me about any kind of resistance and backlash and something that I've sort of settled with as well and kind of like tried to like examine in myself is like, well, why am I, why am I threatened by that? You know, like when, when we talk about like one woman a week being killed or we talk about, you know, women being three times more likely and then there's always people, and it's not always men, right? It's not always men, but some people will be like, well... You know, like, I don't know anyone that would do that or that's not my experience. And it's like, that's good that you don't know anyone that does that. But that doesn't invalidate someone else's, you know. And so the whole continuum of violence is so important to think about. Like, that it's that on the one hand, there are violence-supportive attitudes. You know, like, every every time we see, like, you know, a footy commentator make a sexist joke and it just goes unchecked, that, you know, audiences listen to that 
and they go, oh, that's okay. Like that's that's the, the society that we live in, that's okay, that's the culture that we've created and it's fine. And someone takes that as being women are less than men and I'm allowed to do what I'm doing. And then their idol does it. Their idol does it. You know, and there are football players that like, it, it shocks me, right, but it doesn't surprise me that they're still given platforms, right, that there are, there are people who have like, beyond credible allegations against them, like genuinely have been in trouble with the law and yet they just like keep getting opportunities, right? And it's like we, we all like collectively act shocked. And so for me, right, it's like this thing where we talk about like cancel culture and for me it's like let's go far beyond cancel culture and have a conversation that people we love do things that we despise. You know, like someone can be an amazing footy player or an amazing athlete or an amazing like TV kind of personality and also do something behind closed doors that is a crime. Mm-hmm. And we, we, you know, and if we can reconcile that those two things can be true, I think we as a society can go beyond this whole thing of like, oh, they're horrible, cancel them, to like what can we teach everyone about this yeah. and what can we learn? Like how do we all be better? Because we don't want that happening. We don't want one woman a week being killed. No. You know, no one wants that, but it doesn't start there. You know, like for Nikki, it didn't start there. It started with him checking her phone for text messages. You know, it started with him controlling how much money she could spend. It started with him controlling who she could spend time with. And every, you know, every survivor has such a similar story, like a diverse set of experiences, but such a similar pattern, you know, and that's not by chance Mm. because it's not just one dude snapping you know, and taking out his frustration on his female partner. We all do that sometimes, right? We all get frustrated and are snappy or short, but that's very different to like a pattern of abuse and control. And I think that's the that's the thing that people aren't necessarily as educated about. Yeah. And hopefully in the podcast we touch on that. I was just about to say, I think that's, that is what is so incredible about what you're doing is that you will be educating so many you know broadening everyone's understanding as much as possible really before I go into the next question I did want to ask and this is a total assumption from my end but I would wonder in all the conversations that you've had and the stories that you've heard when it comes back to that question of you know why didn't they just leave other than not really having a choice um, because of the control that they're under when someone is being emotionally abused you know they they might be blinded to half of the half of the stuff that's going on and maybe even ashamed to talk to anyone or reach out to anyone. Do you think, is shame a big part of why someone wouldn't just leave? Does that, has that come up much? Yeah, shame is a huge part. Shame is a huge part of why abuse victims are unable to leave or feel unable to leave. It's also a big part of why people who are concerned about their behaviour don't seek support, right, or don't seek help to change their behaviour. They're... They're ashamed, you know, because they know what they're doing is wrong often. So there's that sense of shame. And then there's an embarrassment with being a victim survivor. You know, even the label of victim comes with so much baggage. You know, people will like... Like when Nikki was murdered, the way some people looked at my mum and my family with this sense of, like, pity... And it was like, fuck that. Like, we haven't done anything wrong. Like, why Why should we feel embarrassed? I remember the first time we went to out, you know, as a family, we went to Chatty and 
I don't know, had to do some like shopping or mum wanted to get like a nice dress or something, right? She was, you know, and it was like four or five months after Nikki had died. We're still going through the court process. And I remember like a family friend bumping into us and acting super weird around my mum. You know, and I get it, like it's really difficult to know, like what do you say to someone, how do you act? But it wasn't that. It went beyond that to kind of like this sense of pity for my mum that went beyond like empathy and being like, I, you know, I share your pain and your sorrow and I want to be there for you to like this almost is judgment, like you're a victim, what are you doing out, you know? And I think the more that we as a society have these conversations, you know, the more that we make it normal to talk about domestic abuse and violence as though it's not a topic just to be talked about behind closed doors, the more progress that I think we'll make. Mm-hmm. You know, so whenever I see like, you know, whenever I'm on Insta and I see influencers talk about this issue and, you know, bring it in, you know, with stuff going on, whether it's maths or whatever, I'm like, this is great. Like, this is what we need to be talking about because this is what it looks like in real life. It's part of everyday life. It's not just something that we want the sector to talk about. It's not just something that, you know, politicians are going to fix, you know, and judging by the way things are going, they're not doing enough to fix it, right? And that's something that a lot of survivors said to us when we recorded the podcast. They want governments to do more. But more than that, I think when it comes to addressing shame, we all play a part. Like we all, you know, the more that we make it so that it's not something to be ashamed about, the more support there is for our friends, for our families, for our loved ones, and the safer hopefully women and, you know, others will be in their homes. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, One conversation that we wanted to um, touch on was one that you had It was an episode that was released March 8th. Obviously, her real name is anonymous, but she was a highly educated, she is a highly educated woman with a master's degree in gender equality. And we wanted to share a quote that she made from the episode. It is such a quick thing that happens. It's like one day you're fine and then literally overnight you're not. And it could just be, and it could be anyone. It doesn't matter what demographic you come from, what experience you have, what knowledge of these systems, whatever, what income bracket, it can just be gone overnight for women particularly. And I would love to ask, like, why was this episode particularly important for you to have as a part of the series? I think the thing about May and so many, you know, women who find themselves in abusive relationships is firstly like we – we talk about them rather than talk to them. And I think that it's really important that we, we always talk to them and hear from them the firsthand, like what they have to say. And especially with women like May, because whenever the news reports on victim survivors of domestic abuse or family violence or whenever there's something in the media, there is the same stock image which is a woman cowering in the corner and this man, and I'm sure you've seen it, I'm sure listeners have all seen this image online and it's the guy with like the, the fist and he's, you know, he's there looking like menacing over this cowering female's body. And that's not what victim survivors look like. That's not what women in abusive relationships look like. That is potentially a snapshot of one moment of an abusive incident you know, or a violent incident. It is not what women look like. They look like May. They look like Geraldine. They look like my sister Nikki. They look like women that we know, right? It goes beyond kind of skin colour and suburb and jobs and demographics. It goes to real humans, right? And the thing about May that sticks out, you know, and I'll never forget this, is just how highly educated she is. 
there is this perception that women who are educated or live in kind of affluent areas or grow up with money or, you know, um, have a degree of comparative privilege, right, that they won't find themselves as, as survivors or victims of abuse, right? And similarly, this idea that people can't be perpetrators if they come from certain walks of life, this idea that people, in, you know, men in positions of power can't be abusers as well, right? So it goes hand in hand that a survivor can look like anyone. And I think it's so important, you know, whether it's May or anyone else, that we kind of, we get a grasp of just how common the issue is. You know, like, there are obviously patterns around the forms of violence that occur in different communities and different settings. But there's no kind of universal truth that violence doesn't exist in certain communities. In fact, it's the opposite. Violence touches across all aspects of Australian society. Right, abuse touches across all aspects, so it's kind of like so crucial, I think, to hear from whether it's May or others to be like, well, what was that experience like for you, and what can we learn? What can we learn about whether it's the warning signs of what that abuse started with? You know, like it doesn't because it never starts the way that the media reports it. It doesn't start like Nikki's abuse didn't start with murder. It started in a way where none of us would even have cottoned on. It ended with murder, right? And that's what gets reported. You know, so for survivors, they don't know. They don't know, is this man going to be the one that is capable of an act of murder or is this man, you know, is it going to stop at name-calling? You know, and that's why I think equality and respect is so important because relationships that have that as a foundation are embedded around, you know, an equal sense of partnership and give and take are ones where there is a less likelihood of intimate partner violence. And I think, you know, whether it's May or anyone, there's just... It gives me a sense of fear but also optimism that we're, that we're actually talking about this because it's like it could happen to anyone. And I think the more that we're aware of women's experiences of the world from all walks of life, the more I think we as a society, and particularly men, will understand about this issue... Mm, and I think it stops us from that thought process that you were speaking about when you read the stat. One woman per week, yeah, but that's not me. That's not my friends. That's not people I know because what I know of what – well, now I've, I've educated myself, but before what I knew what domestic violence was was that image on the TV. And yeah. so if I'm not in a relationship where I'm being hit in the face, then it's not, you know, and that's yeah. – and, and but also it's this – Privilege and this the, the way I thought about it was kind of – and it was interesting hearing you talk about your family upbringing because my assumption would be, and I wrongly assumed, that if you had a fantastic, respectful family upbringing, there's less chance of, you know, than being a victim of domestic violence. Or if, as you said, if you're from a more affluent background, if you're more educated. But that is why the work you're doing is so important because you are showing people that there is no mould. It is not that image on TV – and it could yeah. be there's so many different people that can yep. fit into it can happen to anyone. Yeah. And I mean like this is the thing that really stuck out to me, you know, like I mean like Andrew O'Keefe has allegedly done things that like, you know, is going through the court, so we can't really talk about that. But like I mean, this is a respected figure. It could be anyone, you know, and, and the the flip side of that, the narrative, is that the alleged victims of such incidents are women that we admire and respect and yet they find themselves as as victim survivors. So it's kind of this thing where, like, we almost need to get our heads out of the sand to stop thinking, oh, this is another people problem or this is, like, a cultural problem that they have in, like, 
You know, like when Nikki was murdered, the amount of people that called Nikki's killing an honour killing really shocked me because it was like, but it's not only, you know, women with brown-skinned faces who get killed in Australia. Like, I'm pretty sure Hannah Clark was white. I'm pretty sure Rowan Baxter, who took her life and the lives of her three children, was a white dude, you know. and But no one called it an honour killing in the way that they would. And I think there's a lot of, like stereotypes and assumptions around domestic abuse and family violence, whether it's that kind of cowering image uh, that, that, you know, and I, I'm pretty sure we're talking about the exact same one, Laura. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, like, the exact same one. They always pull out. And I think it's so harmful because people see that and they think, oh, that's not me. You know, they, 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 they kind of, like, I've sat across from women who have made excuses themselves where they're like, oh, he just checks my phone because he loves me. And then you ask them, like, you know, how does that make you feel? And they're like, well, I don't like it. And it's like, well, then that's it, right? Like, if you don't mind it and you've got that position of trust in your relationship, that's a totally different matter. But if you really don't like something and they're consistently doing that, right, without regard for your thoughts or your feelings or, or the fact that makes you feel less than, right, or like they're checking up on you, then that's not okay, you know? And yet there's so many, like, so many things that we as a society, and I think we teach... We teach young children that as well, right? Like we often kind of, we teach, you know, when it comes to like romantic comedies, right? There's that thing where it's like the chase and it's like, dude, if she says no, like, yeah. And I mean, I I think about that because I grew up in that, you know, culture and that society. So I'm like, well, if they're not interested, they're not interested. Or if they are interested, you know, like, are they enthusiastically interested? So I think it's a kind of this thing where like, you know, particularly boys need to learn about that. Um, and girls as well that like, you know, the right form of education to kind of get to the crux of, you know, what are respectful relationships um, and what do they look like. And there's so many amazing people doing work in this, you know, like Chanel Contos with, you know, wanting to, you know, and her Teach Us Consent campaign and wanting that embedded in schools. I think that's so important. I think it's like the first step, but I think it's so important and so phenomenal that, you know, we have people doing that. And I think touching on some of the stuff around stereotypes, Chanel went to like a private school. You know, and she she talks about that. She talks about how she comes from an environment of wealth and privilege and, and, you know, whatever entitlements that affords in society. And yet it happens. You know, when Nick Drummond, that guy from Sydney, attacked a woman, he went to an elite private school. You know, it happens. It doesn't just happen out in the burbs somewhere. It happens everywhere. And it just looks different, you know, and it's reported on differently. But that doesn't make it any less, you know, harmful you know, for people who live in certain suburbs. It means that we're, we as a society aren't doing enough for everyone so that they feel supported. Oh, absolutely. And and I feel like we could talk to you for, which I probably, considering you've been talking, as you said, for the past three weeks, but we could talk about this for three hours straight. Longer, I would say there's just so much to go into. And I think for everyone listening, this is just, a, I suppose, a small snippet of the amazing work that you did on the podcast. And honestly, we cannot recommend that people listen to it enough. Ten episodes listen to every single one of them. I think the way also you've incorporated experts and then you and then also the people that have gone through it and you've actually, as, as we keep talking to, you've spoken to the victims and they have, they have shared their stories. You're amazing. And no, thank you, you for are. taking the time to talk to us today and share your story with so generously share your story. And as you said, you, you don't owe us anything to be able to share it. So we really appreciate 
No, really thank you. It. I really appreciate you both having me on and really like having this conversation. You know, I think it's so important that we have this conversation not as like some kind of abstract theoretical exercise, but like, you know, in, in terms of real life. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was a real honour and privilege to, to be able to sit down and, and talk to these victim survivors and talk to you both as well. So thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to that episode. As we said at the start, we have popped some resources for support if anything in this podcast was triggering to you in the show notes of the episode. We will also pop all of Tarang's details and also how you can listen to the link to There Is No Place Like Home by Future Women so you can listen to it wherever you listen to your podcast. If you would like to hear more from Keep It Cleaner and try out our brand new low impact workouts, you can find us on the App Store if you search Keep It Cleaner on the Google Play or the Apple Store. And our website is www.keepitcleaner.com. We have got a seven-day free trial. You can follow us on socials as well. Wow, this is a long one at uh, Steph Claire Smith at Keep It Cleaner and Laura.henshaw. And we will chat to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.